Luke chapter 12, verse 54 is where we're starting. Luke 12, 54, page 1046. It's cold this weekend, isn't it? Cold weather. Colder than I expected. Um, I think it's brightening up and it's going to be hotter, hotter this week. Which, the fact, I mean, the fact that that is my default mode of chat to, to talk to you shows you that um, I think British people love to talk about the weather, don't they? You ever notice that? I think it's a particularly British preoccupation to always talk about the weather. Possibly because we're awkward people and it breaks the ice better than most things that we're capable of. It strikes me that talking about the weather, as we're about to see in our Bible reading, is a bit easier than talking about politics, because that's controversial, or work, because people don't want to talk about that when they're not at work, or anything niche, because you don't know if they're going to be interested in it. But the weather, you know, we're all, we all have a stake in the weather, and uh, you, can, you can do that. And as we're about to see, Jesus is going to talk about how good we are at mentioning the weather. Should we have a look? Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 54, we'll go to, to, through to 13, verse 9, and, and let's pray as we start. Father, we, we pray to you, and struck today, Father, how many Christians in the world would love to sit in peace in a church building with other Christians and, and read the Bible and be able to hear a sermon. How many of them would love then to be no guns and military and no oppression in their lives to make that possible. But we have that gift this morning. And Lord, we pray, we pray that you would bless us so much. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, we pray. Give us eyes to see and hands and feet to obey as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told them, he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you see the weather, the weather talk in there? 
We'll, we'll, we'll get to seeing about that. And as well as what the broader meaning of, of this is that Jesus is talking about, it does all hang together beautifully today. But we have some phrases in English that have passed into common, common speak. Can I, can I test you a little? You, you complete the weather phrase if, if you think you know, okay? Red sky at night, shepherd's delight. Red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. Okay, well, I, I grew up with that phrase. It sounds like some of you did too. Uh, I believe it means uh, a red sunset means it'll probably be clear the next day. So red sky at night, shepherd's delight. He's going to have a good day tomorrow. Um, this is a new one on me, uh, but some people know this, Bernie. Clear moon, frost. Oh, someone got it, yeah. S- soon, right? Clear moon, frost soon. So you get clear, clear night, it's going to be a cold night, and then the frost is probably coming. I, I also, does anybody else have this one? I was taught when I was young, if the cows in the field are lying down, it's going to rain, right? Okay. I thought, I was thinking this through. I was like, oh, is that just completely crazy? Because what have the cows got to do with the weather? But tr- try it. When you, you see lots of cows lying down, rather than normally they stand up, it's going it's to rain. I, th- I think it works. I think it holds true. Of course, where you live determines the weather patterns, right? So not every country has the same weather speak because we live on the edge of the Atlantic and it's different. The weather patterns are different. Apparently, if you lived in ancient Israel, where Jesus lived, if you saw a cloud rising in the west, that was over the Mediterranean Sea. That was, that was bringing the water off the sea. And so your cloud in the west means it's going to rain soon. So that's what he's referencing here. If you, saw a, if, you, if you felt a south wind blowing, that's coming from the desert and the Arabian Peninsula. So that, that means it's going to be hot. It's going to bring all the hot weather from the desert. So that was their version too. Turns out that it's not just British people who talk about the weather, does it? I mean, Jesus and the, and the Israel people of ancient times were doing it too but of course Jesus doesn't want to leave us there he doesn't just want us to go away talking about cows lying down he wants to say something pretty strong verse 56 hypocrites hypocrites can you imagine Jesus Christ saying that to your face I mean that comes with full force hypocrites you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky how is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time So that's what we're going to talk about today, okay? That's the deeper issue, interpreting the present time. And to put it simply, do you want it in a nutshell? I want to say to you today, it's not too late. This present time, it's not too late to come to God. And it does feel to me like God has led us to this passage, an ideal moment. You know, we get to go out on mission together this week. We get to have a go. We don't know what the results are going to be, but it's not too late for anybody in this city. There are two illustrations in this passage, so let, we'll just we'll basically look at the two illustrations, the two pictures that Jesus paints. The first is of a court case, and the second is of a fig tree. Okay, so we'll, we'll do each of those in turn, and, and they, they speak to the same point, which is we're trying to interpret the present time, but we're realizing it's not too late. Firstly, the court case, verses 57 to 59. I'll read again. You might like to follow with your eye or just listen carefully. Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way, or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. I'm pretty sure this is an example. Jesus has just been talking about the weather. He says you don't know how to interpret the present time, and then he gives this story that he's made up. I think the story is an example. It's a parable. 
So it's serving to illustrate a point. Let me try and explain in London terms. Imagine you've been renting a place in London and it's time for you to move out. And you've, you've paid your rent dutifully up to the last point. But as you get to the end of your tenancy, you, you, well, I'm moving out on this date, I'll just, I'll just round the rent down to the, the, the closest month that I finished, okay? rather than paying up to the value of all the weeks that you spent in that place. Off you go, you know, pack up your boxes and you load up the van and you, you sail off to your new place. And you might optimistically think, well, maybe the landlord will just leave me alone. You know, and they won't be interested in the last few hundred pounds of rent. I suspect you'll discover that they're like most landlords, that you know, they will actually want the, all, all the rent that you owe them down to the last day you lived in their property. So what you find, let's say, is that you start getting emails, letters, phone calls. Can I have my money, please? Can you have the rent that we agreed that you would pay me for your time in my property? Eventually you get a, a letter that says, Wood Green Crown Court on it and it's summoning you to appear in the small claims court on such and such a day. Just, you've got to settle this bill. You, you need to pay what you owe. And Jesus' point is that you would be wise to settle the bill as soon as possible. Yeah, otherwise, you're going to end up in a courtroom. You're going to have a judge there. You, you could be exiting through the door into the cells, or you're just going to end up with a massive bill for everyone's time and, and effort. Just, just, just settle the case. Just, just pay what you owe. Or as Jesus says, be reconciled on the way. Now you need to be aware of the time, Jesus says. So as, bear this in mind. Jesus Christ, right, he's God in human skin. He's, he's walking around the, the ancient holy land. He's doing miracles. We've been seeing some of them as we work through Luke together, trying to take it section by section. He's been preaching amazing things. Like he, he's, he actually says, I'm, I'm, I'm greater than Solomon with my wisdom. So he, he knows what he's about. And he's, he's talking about the kingdom of God. So he knows full well he's bringing the kingdom of God to people. So when he says, guys, you've got to, you've got to interpret the times. Like, who do you think I am? That comes with all the expectation and all the self-awareness of Jesus saying, I am God the Son incarnate. I am the Messiah that was promised to you. There are many people in our city today who, you know, they know about Jesus but they haven't actually done anything about it. They haven't interpreted the time. It's amazing, really, to think about the expertise in this city, isn't it? Do you ever think about that? I mean, you could walk down your street and you find someone with a PhD in like, nuclear physics or someone who's just a complete expert in Baroque music or someone who just knows exactly how to curl a football into the top corner of the goal. It's just amazing, this city. People could be experts in all sorts of things, but you, they need help. They've got to interpret the times. Because we're living in this age when the kingdom of God has come and people have a chance to respond to it. So that's the first illustration Jesus gives. It's all about a court case. You get the idea? So he's saying, try hard. Be reconciled with God before you get to the great court case on Judgment Day. Second picture is of a fig tree. But let's start off. It starts in um, chapter 13 and we'll, we'll work up to the fig tree. First one. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. All those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. He gives two examples of disasters here and 
These are fascinating and sad on their own, right? Because, um, this, this is in passing, but they're not recorded anywhere else, these two disasters. So we wouldn't know about the, the Pilate sacrifice or the, the Tower of Siloam who they killed people unless it had been recorded in the Bible. I think that is because they are, they're kind of local tragedies. They're the kind of things that pe stick in communities' memories, but they didn't get recorded by like Tacitus or Herodotus or something. Which for me has a great ring of truth about it. I love it when the Bible just includes things. Oh, as, as a matter of fact, there was a tower in Siloam that killed 18 people and it makes, it makes me, with my history hat on, find it all the more compelling. But you've got these two disasters and these are, these are sad and, and weighty. Okay, nonetheless, first of all, you've got this thing that he's talking about with the Galileans. It seems like these were Jewish people from the north. Galilee's in the north of the ancient land. And they were bringing a sacrifice. So probably what's going on, the main sacrifice was Passover. So they probably got their, their lamb in their arms. They're probably coming to Jerusalem to the temple to offer their Passover sacrifice. And Pilate, you might recognize his name. He's a famous guy from the Easter story who's the Roman governor. He doesn't seem to have liked what was going on that day. And he sent his legionaries in and there was bloodshed. Do you get the idea? So the Jewish people trying to offer their sacrifices and they ended up being killed by the sounds of it. They thought their lamb was going to be the one that shed its blood. It turned out that they were the ones to die that day. There was a big, big tragedy, a big, messy situation in the city. And Pilate seems to have mixed some of the blood together intentionally or just through what happened. Seems like what was going on is, you know, it says in verse 1, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans. It seems like they're trying to push Jesus' buttons and they're saying, hey, Jesus, have you heard about what Pilate did to those people who were just coming to offer their sacrifice? Isn't that outrageous? And I, th I think what they're trying to do is get him to make some nationalistic outrage statement. You know, how dare they? What are they? Who does he think he is, this Roman guy? And um, he refuses. To do that. Do you see his point? He actually, it's not that he doesn't care, but his, his point is a bigger one. Verse 3, I tell you, unless you repent, you too will all perish. They weren't worse sinners. But you've got to be mindful of who you are. Well, then there's the second disaster, and that is to do with a, a tower in Siloam. Siloam was a, a, the southeast corner of Jerusalem. It had this big city wall in Jerusalem, and seems like there might have been some sort of tower at, on the wall, and maybe it wasn't structurally sound or unexpectedly fell on 18 people. And we know in John's Gospel there was a pool of Siloam, so maybe some people were sitting by the pool, and they got killed by the falling masonry or something. It's just like a sad, tragic event in any community. And Jesus' point there is the same. Verse 5, I tell you, they weren't worse sinners than anybody else. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Just pause here, okay. Um, this is, I mean, it's a really useful passage for seeing the mind of Christ when sad things happen in the world. So if, if you want to know about suffering, this is a good place to turn. But what I want to encourage you to do is... Don't just draw a line like some churches can do. Some countries and cultures can do this. But I, don't, I don't hear it happening around me here, so I'm not having a go at you. But I've, I hear some people going, okay, you did something wrong, specifically wrong, Christian, and this bad thing has happened to you. So this must be God punishing you, right? It must be like one for one. God is punishing you, but you died at Siloam because you must have had some secret thing that not everybody knew about. Some people go into that. You know, some cultures go into that. It's like, it could be a Christian karma, couldn't it? Well, the Lord goes around, comes around, so you, you must be reaping your reward. Jesus is not saying that. He's actually pushing back, back against that here. 
He's saying this, 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 they weren't worse sinners because of what, what they'd done. And in fact, there's this very equal Christian worldview that Jesus is uh, reinforcing here. You know, we, we all get born and we all die. You meet God at the end of your life and you, you, you pay then for sin. And it's a fantastically equal thing. Christianity is a fabulously equal way to view the world. Otherwise, what you're left with is this situation of privileges. You know, maybe, maybe you made some mistakes in your life and you're going to pay for them. Whereas we say at the funeral services, naked I came into the world, naked I will depart. I brought nothing in, I take nothing out. You might think Jesus is harsh here, but actually I, I see his compassion coming through here. I mean, Jesus is a straight talker, as I'm sure you can hear even today. But he sees the whole story in perspective, the whole story of your existence, not just your, what, 70, 80 years of earthly life, but your whole eternal life. And he's saying, I, I care about you. I don't want you to perish eternally, so you need to repent now. We've talked with our mission support group that we have here at church about we, we want to be a church at St. Paul's that, that relieves all suffering, but especially eternal suffering. I borrowed that from another pastor, but I found that a useful peg to hang all this on. We, we really want to relieve all suffering. All suffering is sad. All suffering is painful in the world. And especially eternal suffering, we have a view to that because we see that as the longest, most severe, most irreparable thing in all of creation if, if someone has to go to hell instead of to heaven. Maybe you could carry that away and think with you, think, think about it with others. You know, how, how can I relieve all suffering and especially your eternal suffering? So I promised you a fig tree. So here we go. Verses six to nine. Jesus turns this into another picture as he so often does. He, he wants to say a parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? I, um, I'm blessed to have a garden where I live here. The church gives us a house to live in and it's got a lovely little garden. And in my opinion, the best spot in my garden at the moment is just outside the sitting room window. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost cinematic. I can sit on the sofa, I can look out, and on almost any day, there's just this square. I can just look a bit, there's a bit of nature. I can drink my cup of tea, and I think that's the best spot. It gets the sun, it gets the rain, it gets the soil, but I can look at it. And um, for about the first three years when I lived here, uh, that spot was occupied by, like, a big weed. <laughs> that's the only way I could describe it. It was this little thing when we moved in, and then it grew and grew. I watched it grow, and I thought, what is that? Like, what, what is taking this best spot in the garden? Eventually, after about three years, I, I asked a few people at church who were better with plants than me, and they helped me identify an elder tree. I thought, oh, I've kind of heard of that. I, knew that. I know that's a tree. And it carried on growing. It was just like a great big gangly thing. Not really a tree, more like a giant bush that was just beginning to block out my sitting room window. I did think, oh, elder tree, I think I can make elderflower cordial out of that. So, so I, I, had a, I had a Google about that, but it wasn't producing enough ber berries, flowers, wh whatever you use, to, to make elderflower cordial. So I thought, what is this thing doing? It's, it's got the best spot in the garden, it's blocking out my light, it's using up the soil. I've had enough. And here it is today. I mean, I kept the stump, it's sort of a memento, because I, I, I took it out with my son, but... This is my elder tree. 
They thought, why should this thing use up the soil, the best soil in the garden? I'd love to put in something I can look at and that's going to be useful to my family rather than this. And Jesus tells this story about a guy in a, guy in a, a vineyard. He says, I own this vineyard. I haven't got time to waste with fig trees that don't produce fruit. And there's this fascinating interchange where he says, just cut it down. And then, this is actually the most beautiful bit, in my opinion. Verse 8. What happens? The guy who looks after the vineyard says, Sir, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Apparently in the ancient world, there are other examples of people being encouraged to be virtuous. You know, if you were like a Stoic or something, then you might get a similar story. You've got one more year. You better bear some fruit, otherwise you're going to cut down by life. You you can imagine that in other worldviews. Verse 8 and 9 is fascinating because that is just Jesus. this This is the whole thing. Because patience, right? Give it another year. I do want it to bear fruit. I'm, I'm for this victory, but justice. I won't put up with this forever. And in those two things, do you detect the, 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 the twin concerns that Christians often have? Sometimes I hear Christians out of a, a sort of a good zeal talk a lot about judgment. And they say, yeah, but God is going to judge the world. And that's true. Other times I hear usually other Christians talk about love. God loves the world. He, he cares for people. He doesn't want them to perish. That's true. But you see how verses 8 and 9 have both. I do. I do care about judgment and justice. The the evil has to be addressed. But I also love you. I don't want you to perish. I do want to give you more time. And that's the age we're living in. So you see why I think it's just, this is the perfect story for us as we go into a mission week. We, We hold out both of those things to London because we hold out God to London. God in his grace has not cut down all of the human race yet. Our city still lives. He's not yet brought them all to the dock and he's still giving them the chance to settle. And the axe is not yet at the root of the tree, cutting into it. So let's invite people. Would you consider Christ? I believe he loves you, but he also stands for justice. Do you want to hear more about him? So the great news is today, my friends, it's not too late. I mean, it's too late for my tree, isn't it? This, this tree has had it. It's not too late for our city. So let's think a bit about application, shall we? I think there are, these are, these are, there are two types of people this might be. So um, you might be in the crowd, or you might already be a disciple. Let's just think about that. Firstly, you might be in the crowd. Uh, Jesus was addressing the crowds when he says this. That's what we're told. And maybe you feel like, you're, I'm kind of in the crowd at the moment. I'm just I'm listening, listening into Jesus. I'm quite new to all this. I feel like I'm at the back of the crowd, perhaps. Well, if you're just pricking up your ears and listening to Jesus, then just hear his urgency. Repentance is one of the things he wants to talk to you about. He wants to talk to you about repenting, which means turning to God. I put on your sermon sheets, if you, if you can find that, uh, on, at the bottom there it says, repentance, according to Luke. And uh, I, I, I dug out all of the references to repentance in Luke's gospel and also in Acts, which is his sequel. I, I won't go through them all now, but can you see there are 10 there? And at, down at the bottom, it talks about turning to God. So Acts 3.19, all, Israel, all Israelites were called to repent and turn to God. Or Acts 26.20, 20, that's right at the end of the book of Acts, when the gospel is going to the whole world, all people should repent and, oh look, 
turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So Christianity isn't telling you if you're in the crowd just to oh, try harder, produce some fruit, pull up your socks a bit, maybe God will accept you one day. This is saying, just turn to God. Just settle with him. He's offering you terms through Jesus Christ. And then we'll get to talking about fruit after that. So still today, it's not too late. Remember the day I became a Christian, it was um, 21 years ago. Uh, the, the pastor, he just had me come and pray this simple prayer. Sorry, thank you, please. And at the heart of that, you know, sorry, I'm just sorry, Lord, for the way I've lived without you. My arrogance and pride, that was the turning point for me. Maybe for you or for someone you know, it could be a turning point as you are called to repentance. But then, look, it might be that you're a disciple already, and, and um, lots of you are Christians already, and the of course, the disciples were in amongst this crowd. They were, they were already following Christ. In which case, I imagine you've already repented. Right? You've already turned to God. But maybe there's somebody else that you could take this message to. Maybe this is something you could pass on. Of course, the simplest way this week is just to invite somebody to engage with St. Paul's Haringey. We're going to try and talk about Jesus a lot this week. We're going to try and talk about his lordship and his love and his justice. So if, if you want to get one of those flies into someone's hands... Do you want to come to church with me? Oh, Friday night, we're doing this thing, you know, it's, it is well with my soul, food and drink. Sounds really good, actually. Do you, do you want to come along? Oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't come. It's a busy Friday night. Oh, it's, it's all right, because it's actually on YouTube, so you, know, you, watch it, you can watch it afterwards. Or um, you, know, you told me you, were, you, you went to church once. Do you want to come back? To, we're doing this thing called Back to Church Sunday at my church. Do you want to just come along next Sunday? You, don't, you can just sit at the back if you want to. And that's just the easiest way, I think, to... To, to start a conversation, just mention what you're doing next weekend and invite somebody along. If you, you might think, oh, I, I can't think of anybody in that category in my life. Okay, well, if you want to come door knocking with us, then that's, that's the way I often do it. I just go and put things through people's doors and I'm going to be inviting people um, 12.30 today and come with us today if you want to. Or um, you might think, actually... This is something which matters a lot for somebody I know. I mean, they can't come to St. Paul's Haringey. They're not going to watch anything online, but it really matters to them. So, do you know what my mum does? She, my mum is this great evangelist, and more and more as the seasons go on. And she writes letters to people. And she particularly, she does a good line in letters when people are seriously ill. Now, be careful. You've got to get this right. But my mum is very gentle, very loving, and she, she's built up a lifetime of credit with people right so so when if she hears that someone is incurably ill she often write them a letter and with her heart for for people and for christ she'll she'll write to them how she's feeling you know um i'm so sorry she'll pour out sympathy and but she will say look i believe there is a way you could go to heaven because i know you're thinking about death can i tell you a bit more about that sometimes she'll include a bible verse or a tract sometimes she'll leave it for them to come back it's brave it's a brave thing to do Easier not to do that. It matters, doesn't it, if, if we haven't got forever. My friends, let's go into this mission week, shall we, and invite repentance. It's not too late. I don't know what God's going to do, but I know he said this. One day it will be too late, but today it's not. I'll give you a minute where you're sitting. Why don't you... Have a think. Oh, particularly just talk to the Lord in silence. Lord, if you gave me one chance this week, this is what I would do with it. When, when you have that, have that conversation with God and then I'll lead us in a prayer in a moment. 
Lord God Almighty, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that, that my existence is not one of just trembling, like a, like a tree in the garden just waiting to be cut down. But I'm amazed that you would call us to repent, to settle, even to come to a feast with you. Thank you that that's the story for so many of us, Father, who know Jesus. But would you, would you not let us rest content in that, Father? Recognize there's, there's people to reach. We want to reach them with the love and justice of God. We want them to hear about Christ before it's too late. We'd love them not to, to be like a, a stump, but like a flourishing tree in the house of God. And we pray that for these situations we've identified, Father, for the people that are on our hearts, would you, if you love them, would you give us a chance? Would you, would you help us invite them to church, to repentance, and to Christ? For we ask it in his name. Amen.